Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which it's featuring the state of Alaska's Willow Project. Um, you might be familiar with it. It took a long time to get through permitting, a project that ConocoPhillips has invested a lot of time in energy, and it makes a great article to read on why we need energy reform uh, to look at energy to have a solid energy policy uh, is important. So I encourage you to go to shellmag.com to look at the article. It's up now no. to look at the latest issue of Shell Magazine. If you go to shellmag.com, you can find the article and many more. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. Good morning, everyone. I'm Omar Garcia, Chief External Affairs Officer at the Port of Corpus Christi. And I want to welcome you to Shell Magazine's annual State of Energy Luncheon. I have the honor of serving as your master of ceremony for today's event. We are proud once again to join with our partners at Shell Magazine to bring together an exciting program for you today. As the nation's, as the nation's leading energy export gateway, the Port of Corpus Christi is honored to host this discussion for you today. The success we as a port have seen over the last several years is due to the commitment and investment from our incredible customers. Customers like Chenier and Enbridge, who you'll hear from later today, along with so many of our other customers that are present in the audience. Just a few highlights to talk about the achievements this port has seen in the last several years. We had a record annual tonnage in 2022, over 187 million tons. We broke our quarterly tonnage record the first quarter of this year, over 49 million tons. Crude exports are reaching nearly 3 million barrels of crude a day. Think about that, nearly 3 million crude barrels of exports are leaving the Port of Corpus Christi. And we exceeded our LNG exports in 2022, exporting over 16.2 million tons of LNG. These records are directly attributed to our customers and the hardworking men and women of the Port of Corpus Christi under the leadership of our Port Commissioners and our CEO, Sean Strawbridge. While these numbers are historic and record-breaking, the best is yet to come. Our region is slated for billions of dollars of more investment in traditional fossil fuels, but also in, in the energy transition space. I wanna thank our keynote speaker, Mike Summers, president and CEO of the American Petroleum Institute for taking time to join us. In addition to our keynote by Mike, we have a great group of panelists who will take part in the talk moderated by our own chief executive officer, Sean Strawbridge. These individuals are not only knowledgeable experts in the energy industry, but oversee organizations that are vital to our regional, state, and national economic security. They include Corey Grindle, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for Chenier Energy, Phil Anderson, Senior Vice President, Corporate Development Liquids Pipeline for Enbridge, and we have also added our very own Jeff Pollack, Chief Strategy and Sustainability Officer to this esteemed panel. Mike, it's all yours. Well, it's great to be with everyone. I'm so glad to be with you, albeit virtually. Given uh, how much oil this country used to import, it, I will say that everything that happens along the Gulf is truly an energy miracle. And I would have loved to have been able to tour the port of Corpus Christi today. 
That port, of course, sets the standard for the more than 100,000 miles of coastlines and inland waterways we use to move Texas oil and natural gas to our neighbors, to both coasts, to our interior, and equally important to our allies. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike Summers. I'm president and CEO of the American Petroleum Institute. We're an organization of more than 600 members strong that represents the core of the American oil and gas industry in the United States, from those that, of course, produce oil and gas, to those that refine it, to those that move it uh, in our important uh, coasts and through our midstream partners. It is truly an honor as the president and CEO of, of the American Petroleum Institute to represent what I believe to be the greatest industry in the world, the American oil and gas industry. Of the 2.3 million barrels of crude that left the port of Corpus Christi every day in March, many of those barrels were moved to Europeans in need and other friends overseas. The port of Corpus Christi sends American energy leadership across our great nation and all over the world. Washington and truly the world is indebted to you and the work that happens at that great port. But this type of energy flexibility can only happen if Washington, D.C. invests in, and maintains our channels and our waterways to their proper depths and keeps our locks and dams functioning. Unfortunately, most locks and dams are well beyond their 50-year design life, and nearly half of the vessels experience delays. With better laws in place, energy companies all over Corpus Christi can do even more. The permitting reforms within the debt limit, limit negotiations in Washington, D.C. are a step in the right direction. They'd give this port and others the cushion and connectivity that it needs to deliver American crude from more places. But with the White House and the Senate controlled by Democrats and the House controlled by Republicans, you may ask, aren't these issues DOA in the United States Congress? Well, part of the reason I'm here today to talk to you is to report that not only is there reason to hope, but there's a real historical precedent. It's been 50 years since OPEC turned off, turned off the spigot in the 1970s. Not everything Washington did back then to meet the challenge worked, but a Republican president and a Democratic Congress approved the construction of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline System eight years ago, and excuse me, uh, in that era. And eight years ago, in 2015, President Barack Obama and a Republican Congress agreed to lift the ban on the export of crude oil. That bipartisan policy win put Corpus Christi on the map, and it made your city the global powerhouse that it is now. Lawmakers in Washington have the chance to make real bipartisan energy history again with comprehensive permitting reform, and it's not a moment too soon. Given the energy instability and insecurity that we see thanks to Russia's war and other chaos throughout the world. But permitting reform is just one of many battles that we're fighting in Washington and across the states. In fact, API is watching 40 different regulatory actions or proposals at the federal level that will affect the oil and gas industry. But let's train our focus on three key topics today. One, the moment we're in. Two, what's at stake. And three, what you can do to help Texas oil and natural gas the, and help to make sure that it stays that indispensable driver of U.S. energy leadership. For energy hubs like this one, it's been a rocky two years since President Biden took office. In his first 19 months, the federal government issued the fewest leases for developing onshore projects since World War II, back when our economy was a tiny fraction of what it is today. 
Meanwhile, next month, it'll mark a full year since America's five-year federal offshore leasing plan expired, with a new one not scheduled to be issued for months. Beyond being against the law, just think about what failing to adequately plan for offshore production means. Let me give you an example. What if someone told the Cowboys or the Texans, you guys can't recruit or scout or draft for the next five years? The fan bases here, of course, would be in an uproar, not knowing how Dallas or Houston plan to field a team for a half decade. It wouldn't work. Meanwhile, just last month, the administration through EPA sent out a proposed tailpipe emissions rule that amounts to the first step toward a ban on gasoline-powered vehicles, essentially bringing failed California energy policies all across the country. They have followed up with new emission standards on power plants that could impact the use of natural gas for electricity generation. Rules like these ultimately can hurt the people of Texas and all Americans, with potentially less reliable and more costly energy from unstable regimes all over the world. That's not the future that we want for our kids and grandkids. Instead, the focus should be on the long-term development of American resources, American oil and natural gas, along with the safest standards that we put in place to ensure that our environment is protected. We have abundant supplies, and the shale revolution started an energy technology surge right here in Texas and all around the United States. Thanks to your hard work, America has become the model for the rest of the world on producing record levels of, of, of our products, while at the same time reducing emissions. The blueprint is being written right here in Texas by our energy producers, transporters, and refiners. And there are some reasons I believe to be optimistic. The administration approved the Willow Project. Congress mandated some production in the Gulf of Mexico, and May could be the month for enacting permitting reforms as part of the debt limit talks. The president and leaders in Congress met on this issue last week. We believe the political moment is now, because if you can't get energy where it is, you won't be able to unleash the American energy spirit for every other American who benefits from this industry. And consider what permitting reform will mean for the cutting edge technologies developed here in Corpus Christi. Enbridge has announced its intent to build a world-class low carbon blue ammonia production facility right here at the Ingleside Energy Center. Once operational, the facility will supply low carbon ammonia to meet the growing energy demand. It's estimated 95% of the CO2 generated from the production process will be captured and then stored. And if Washington gets its act together, Enbridge will be in business sooner rather than later, creating opportunity right here in Corpus Christi. There's a lot at stake in these fights, not just Washington politics, but for all of our future. This industry is a key driver of the U.S. economy, generating almost as much GDP as the entire Canadian economy, $1.8 or nearly 8% of U.S. GDP. Closer to home, the Lone Star states natural gas and oil support more than 2.45 million jobs by themselves, enough workers to fill up Minute Maid Park in Houston about 60 times over. If Texas were a country, it would be the fourth largest oil producing nation and rank third in natural gas production. And when it comes to money for economic impact, the industry generates $455 billion per year in GDP in Texas. For contrast, $455 billion is far larger than the combined annual budgets of the Departments of Education, Energy, and EPA. Take that, Uncle Sam. So that's an idea of what we're fighting for, and you can help us. 
by staying connected to API and what's going on in Washington, and by taking actions to, actions to keep this industry strong. First, you're in good company. It's no accident that 90% of American voters support developing our own natural gas and oil, rather than importing these resources from other countries. 85% believe producing oil and natural gas here could help us lower energy costs. 84% agree that oil and natural gas development here makes us and our allies safer. We didn't just poll Republicans. We polled Democrats and independents. They even agree with these statements by 80 and 90%. Americans of all political stripes recognize the strength and importance of our industry, and they're old enough, if they're old enough, they remember the potential alternative. All I need to say is OPEC embargo, and some of you will remember those long lines at filling sta stations that circled city blocks for miles. That led to an American lost decade. We must never go back, and we should always take the right steps to make sure that we don't go back to that terrible period. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show. We'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to an old patch radio show. I would like to call up another individual who possesses an in-depth knowledge of the global energy market, my friend and CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, Mr. Sean Strawbridge. Sean? Well, good afternoon, fine people. Thank you so much for being here to the uh, Shell Magazine's 2023 State of the Energy Luncheon. Uh, it's an event that uh, I always look forward to uh, for two reasons. One, it's a great opportunity to get an update on what's going on in this wonderful industry that powers the entire world. And two, I get to see some old friends and some new friends, uh, our customers, uh, here, uh, Corey with Chenier, Phil with Enbridge, and of course, uh, bringing up the rear, but certainly uh, not least, uh, Mr. Jeff Pollack, our Chief Strategy and Sustainability Officer, who has some big shoes to fill as he's going to sit in for Mike Summers. Um, Mike actually called me this morning, uh, was profusely apologetic for not being able to make it, and I told him, look, Mike, We've all had those experiences. I, I certainly, as much as I travel, uh, many times in stuck in airports and and whatnot. I also want to. Uh, I know our our chief financial officer, Kent Britton, was uh, had to drive last night from uh, from Houston, and uh, you know that's just part of the challenge of getting to Corpus Christi. And when I started here eight years ago, it was really tough to get people to come to Corpus Christi. Uh, now we have tremendous interest in this region, and a lot of that interest is based on what these fine gentlemen and their companies are doing. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to hear what uh, what's uh, on their top of mind, uh, and certainly am looking forward to sharing some of the things that we heard uh, from our trip that we just got back. Uh, we just were in Europe for two weeks, uh, the last two weeks, uh, and I literally got back last night. Uh, but tremendous opportunity, continued opportunity for this region. Um, I, you, if you have this, you have the gentleman's bio, so I'm not going to bore you with them. Uh, not that they're boring, because these are very impressive uh, individuals. <clears throat> but I know you all can read, uh, But I, and I encourage you to read them, because when you look at somebody like uh, uh, Corey Grindle as the chief operating officer, of one of the largest energy companies on the planet, and certainly the largest exporter of liquefied natural gas, you don't get those positions 
uh, by happenstance. It's because of the acumen and the professionalism uh, and certainly an ability to grow something that just a few short years ago was going to be an import uh, facility here in Corpus Christi. And boy, did the market change. So, you know, the fact that Chenier, most companies would have folded their tent when the market changed and there was a proliferation of gas production as a result of the innovation and extraction technologies, most companies probably would have folded their tent. And a lot of them did, but Chenier didn't. Chenier stuck to its thesis by just saying, okay, if we're not going to be a regasification facility, let's be a liquefaction facility uh, and spent tens of billions of dollars remodeling that whole thesis, that whole strategy, and certainly uh, developing what we have today, which is I think the second largest LNG liquefaction facility uh, in the United States after the largest, which is also a Chenier facility in Sabine Pass. Unfortunately, it's on the Louisiana side of the Sabine Natchez waterway. I certainly will. Let's make sure your mic's on there for sure. Um, you know, Corey, watching first the initial construction and now watching the expansion that started last summer, you know, you recently also announced an expansion of the Sabine Pass in, in Louisiana facility. G just give us an update of these projects and what's really driving the thesis behind these expansions. Before I do that, I want to thank all of you for letting me be here. I spend a lot of time down here in Corpus over here at 12 and over here at table one, we've got a lot of our site leadership team here. So I count it as a real privilege to be involved in the community down here because we're such a large employer, as well as we have a very large employee base right now. So as Sean said, we have two facilities in the United States. We have the largest LNG export facility in the United States over at Sabine Pass, which is at the mouth of the Sabine River. It's the second largest export facility in the world behind Qatar Gas's uh, Ras Lafon terminal in Qatar. Um, but as Sean said, we've got a large facility here and it's about 15 million tons. We are currently going through an expansion where we're expanding it by 10 million tons. And to put things in perspective, one cargo uh, of LNG will heat about a million homes during the winter in Europe. One million ton is 14 cargoes. And so collectively right now, we make 45 million tons between our two facilities. We have another 10 million tons that we're expanding here at Corpus. And we made a filing last year where we're gonna build, and we would like to build another two trains down at, um, down at Corpus where we'll have an incremental 13 or 14 million tons. All said here in Corpus, we have invested over $20 billion in our facilities. And to the extent that the world continues to need it, we will continue to build facilities to not only help our allies, but to continue to make a cleaner world as natural gas burns so much cleaner than coal and oil, wood, a lot of things that other countries use in order to power their businesses and heat their homes. Yeah, look, it's impressive, the, the growth. Uh, I think the United States now is exporting close to 12 BCF a day. I know, I think Corpus Christi is a little over two BCF of that. Uh, so that's a pretty significant, uh, and that's up from zero just a few short years ago. Uh, just that maybe as a follow-up, uh, do you see market growth 
uh, in the total exports from the United States? If we're at 12 today, where could we be in five years or 10 years? So I'm going to give facts and then I'm going to give my opinion. So right now we export about 12 and a half during the winter time, our facilities, as well as a couple other facilities in the US can export a little bit more because the colder ambient temperature gives us more horsepower to be able to make more LNG. So let's call it 13 million tons. We know right now that there's probably about 17 to 18 BCF a day of facilities that are in operation or being built. Our expansion that I just talked about, there's another facility um, on the Texas-Louisiana border right north of ours called Port Arthur that's gone to FID. And then there's another facility over near New Orleans that has gone to FID and started construction. So between those, let's call it 18 BCF, maybe even a little bit more than that. We've proposed to build um, these other two trains which will add another one and a half BCF. And then we have a 20 million ton expansion that we've pre-filed with the FERC for over at our Sabine facility, which will consume well over two BCF. So all told, we've got this 18-ish, maybe a little bit more that's in operation or being built. And I think that realistically, we could probably export 20 to 25 BCF as a country with us and some of these other facilities to the extent that they get commercialized. Uh, exporting from the U.S. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show. And we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to an old patch radio show. So uh, theoretically, we could even double. So the market uh, opportunities continue to remain robust, it sounds like. So when you look at worldwide demand right now, the LNG market is a 400 million ton market. Everything that's being expanded and built, not only here in the U.S., but also in Qatar and other countries, is about another 100 million tons. We predict that by 2040, the market will be about 700 million tons. So worldwide, there probably needs to be another 200 million tons built. We used to think about five years ago that there were three main places that you could build LNG facilities commercially that had the resources. When I say commercially, being able to compete with other worldwide sources, the US, Qatar, and Russia. With everything that's transpired over the last year and a half, the US, as I've said, is clearly expanding. Qatar is clearly expanding. But I don't think that Russia will be able to expand because they need Western technology. They need Western companies to make the materials that they need in order to build these facilities. So it's going to be interesting to see where else LNG is going to be able to come from commercially. There are some places out there, but there is likely to be a deficit in the 2030s for LNG to the extent that people want to continue to get off coal. They want to continue, they want to stop burning oil like they do in the Middle East and just typical economic growth that we see in Southeast Asia is going to require some type of energy to be able to bring people out of poverty into middle class and to be able to create manufacturing facilities that will be able to make whatever products they're looking at. So, you know, with all of that, there are still some naysayers out there when it comes to liquefied natural gas. And Jeff and I were just in Europe along with uh, Commissioner Gully uh, at the World Hydrogen Summit. And what I took away from there is the uh, European Union is really focused on uh, perfection as opposed to progress. In fact, I think we've coined the term perfection has become the enemy of progress. Nevertheless, 
Uh, what is Chenier doing to continue to reduce its environmental footprint, knowing that LNG is much cleaner than, than coal uh, and other solid fuels, uh, but there's still more work to be done. Uh, what, what are you doing at uh, Chenier, Corey? A great question and something that I think about and our whole company thinks about. And if you were to talk to our leadership team that's sitting here, they would also talk about it. It is my view that our environmental footprint will be our social license to operate down the road with companies making uh, carbon emission uh, targets, with the, U, the EU mandating targets on ships and on companies that do business there. We have been very proactive in reducing our uh, carbon emissions footprint. And our philosophy is we wanna do it scientifically based. We don't wanna just throw something out there that we know that we can't achieve. So we want it to be scientifically based. We want it to be actionable. We want it to be a real difference, not something where we're going and buying carbon offsets. And then lastly, we wanna be extremely transparent with our position in the world, our position in the United States, the leader that we like to be and will continue to be, we want to be transparent. So we've started a couple different programs. We have a QMRV program where we've partnered with producers and uh, pipelines in the US. QMRV is uh, quantification, monitoring, reporting, verification. So it's a continual cycle of looking for today, what we can improve for tomorrow. So we've partnered with producers, we've partnered with pipelines that service. We've do it, we're doing it on our own facilities so that we know where we have very minuscule methane emissions as well as what our carbon emissions are out of our stacks. And we're doing it on the ships. We have a ship, a fleet of 45 ships that move our product around the world. We started a carbon emission tag program where we give every customer what their carbon emissions footprint is. And that continues to get updated as we get better and better information. Um, we have partnered with the University of Texas and Colorado State on what we call MDEL, the Energy Emissions Monitoring and Data Lab, where when we take all of this information, we send it to them, they're able to process it, they're able to provide trends, and able to do really a deep dive analysis that really only a bunch of PhDs can. Um, so we're really, really proud of what we're doing, and we know that it's already starting to have an effect. And as I said, the mindset that we have is it's going to be our social license to operate down the road, and we want to be a leader in this space. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an oil patch radio show, and we'll be right back. In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to TexasMutual.com TXOGA. We're back. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. I want to move on to uh, to Phil Anderson. Phil's the senior vice president of corporate development uh, for Enbridge. Uh, for those of you who don't know Enbridge, Enbridge is a very large 
uh, energy company uh, based in Canada, but Phil is a Texan. Uh, and I want to make sure that uh, uh, we, we clarify that, uh, that you're not a Canuck, um, but you got, you, you know, we, uh, Ingalls, uh, the Ingleside Energy Center, which was a Navy base for those of you who uh, are, are from here, uh, it was the old uh, home port uh, for a, a destroyer group and uh, it got bracked. And usually in communities, when a naval station gets bracked and those jobs are lost, they don't come back. And it can be a real economic nail in the coffin, so to speak, for local economies. But in this particular case, the uh, the Navy base was converted into what started out as uh, Oxy termed it the Oxy Ingleside Energy Center. And now that Enbridge has it, it's still the Ingle, it's the Enbridge Ingleside Energy Center. Uh, and uh, I love that because uh, you've had a string of announcements since the acquisition uh, of the Ingleside uh, Energy Center. And so perhaps tell us, Phil, what's the what's driving those investments and the thesis behind those investments from Enbridge in put, buying the facility, number one, and then putting the additional capital that you're putting into it, number two? Yeah. Well, first off, uh, I'll say my thank you to Kim and the team at Shell Magazine for including us today for the port for uh, putting this on. You know, we Enbridge has been involved uh, here locally for about the last eighteen months. We've really enjoyed it, been you know felt very welcomed by the community. So uh, we're happy to be here today. So what's driving it today? And this you talk about our name and you know when we acquired the facility almost two years ago, we thought about you know do we keep it EIEC and all that? And really when we looked at it and thought about the plans going forward, I mean Energy Center in addition to the largest oil export facility in North America, our plans down the road, you know, we see NGLs uh, leaving the facility. We see ammonia, which is really the, the leader of hydrogen, if you will, uh, coming out of there in significant volumes. And it's really the ingredients that you look back at and you say, not only do we have world-class access uh, on the waterfront, but you've got ample supplies of natural gas, ample supplies. We're closest to the Permian Basin and the Eagleford. Uh, we have sun, we have water, we have all those things that go to make almost every imaginable form of energy that you know we're gonna need over the next 50 years. And we see EIEC is the point, the best point in North America for that to leave to go to our allies in Europe uh, and really globally to feed the world. And, and at Enbridge, we see this as a, you're gonna need it all. Uh, and so our intent with that location is that is the optimal place to really do it all. Uh, and that's what's driving us to continue to look at investments there. Well, one of the announcements that uh, Enbridge made recently was the acquisition from Phyllis Phillips 66 of the Gray Oak Pipeline, which is a crude line coming from the, Perpe the Permian Basin down here to Corpus Christi. I think it's, if not the largest, one of the largest pipelines that we have coming to the region there. Um, maybe tell us a little bit more about the impetus for that transaction and where do you see the future of, uh, sure. of the Gray Oak line? Well, I mean, when we uh, acquired Ingleside, that was really the start of a plan to, you know, it. Uh, you know, oil business, we like to link things together. 
Uh, we were already a partner in Gray Oak. We had a long-term discussion with Phillips. We kind of switch, switched places where we took over operatorship. We're now the major owner of it. Uh, that directly links to our Ingleside facility. So Gray Oak's doing about 900,000 barrels a day of oil. It's full at the moment. Uh, we're doing about a million a day out of Ingleside. So it matches up really well. We've announced uh, here just very recently, we're going to expand Gray Oak by another 200,000 barrels a day. We see that translating directly into, you know, more exports uh, out of our facility. So, you know, there continues to be demand uh, across those assets. We'll make investments up in the basin to support that. And we're making investments here at Ingleside to uh, support that as well. So these, these projects sort of become twofers for us now, uh, where you expand one and you get the benefits at, at both of them. So that's, that's a, you know, we look for those anytime we can get them. Yeah. And as a corp dev guy, I mean, uh, you know, you live for the deals. So exactly. uh, we, we appreciate you turning over those rocks and, and finding those deals that drive more investment here to the region, more job creating investment. You know, uh, I think it was um, uh, I think it was Todd Staples at Texoga that coined this term, but I have used it so much that I'm not going to give many more references after today. But, you know, when you talk about the energy sector, uh, he says it's the four P's. It's production, it's pipelines, it's processing, and it's ports. Um, what is it that the Port of Corpus Christi has done and or can can do to help you continue to optimize your investment there in the in the uh, uh, Enbridge Ingleside Energy Center? You know, I, I think one of the big selling points of the port, and you know, it, it was when we were looking here and it continues to be is the ability to work with the port to get stuff done. Uh, you know, the, the local community is supportive. The port is supportive. Uh, you know, again, we've got all those other ingredients. So, I mean, it, you know, if I had to say one message, it's continue to work with us uh, the way you have and continue to be supportive because the potential you're seeing it on your side. I'm seeing it on, on the oil side of the business uh, it's, it's, you know, significantly more than it is today. And, and it is, I, you guys were talking at lunch about the reception in Rotterdam and Corpus is on the map. It's no accident that the largest ammonia producer in the world, who's from Oslo, Norway, is now our partner here. Because when they came and they saw and they looked and they talked to people, they walked away convinced this was the best place to make those investments. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show. And we'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. 
Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. We're back. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. So that's a great segue into, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the traditional oil and gas markets. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned uh, an ammonia uh, uh, plant there at uh, the Ingleside Energy Center. And, and that was a lot of discussion that we've heard at the uh, at the Rotterdam uh, World Hydrogen Summit, which uh, was a, a major event. Uh, and, and so maybe tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you're doing when you're looking at the transition initiatives, taking full advantage of the fact that you are, you've mentioned NGLs, you've mentioned crude oil, but you've also now touched upon transition. So it sounds like Enbridge isn't shying away from the opportunities in the energy transition space as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely not. So uh, ammonia, and this is ultra low carbon ammonia, it's 95% carbon free. Ammonia, just my, uh, I'm not a scientist, but I'll, I'll attempt to do this. You can, you're probably, better at this, but ammonia is, is uh, hydrogen with nitrogen. It's, it's just, it's a chemical bond. Ammonia has a big market right now in fertilizers. It's basically, you know, one of the largest components of uh, fertilizer globally. Um, it is also talked about as the suitcase to move hydrogen uh, on vessels. So uh, hydrogen, otherwise it's, it's a gas. It takes up a lot of room because it's uh, it's not very dense. But if you convert it to ammonia first, then it behaves like a liquid, uh, very similar to LPGs, things like that, which we have a lot of experience. We've got ships that do this. Uh, the world is, is kind of ready for this. But then you can move it as ammonia and then really you just uncombine it uh, at your destination. You've got hydrogen again, and that, that really can fuel all the things that, you know, and yeah, Europe's kind of being a pain, uh, but but they do need ammonia for fertilizer. So, uh, you know, that's that's why we've gone there first. Well, you know, when we talk about energy transition, uh, the real architect of the Port of Corpus Christi's energy transition strategy is our chief strategy and sustainability officer, Jeff Pollack. Uh, I also call him the big brain of the outfit because uh, where I like to use two and three syllable words, he uses five and six. So I always try and tell him, you got to remember, you got to dumb it down for me. But uh, maybe in a uh, in a in a 25 words or less, Jeff, and I know that's tough for you. Uh, maybe explain the strategy that the Port of Corpus Christi is pursuing in support of the energy transition initiatives that our current customers and potential new customers are engaged in. 25 words or less. Um, 
So I'm actually, I'm going to pivot on that, Sean. <laughs> as much as I appreciate the question, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase the, the Dutch energy minister who um, just by circumstance, I, I had the good fortune of having dinner with in Rotterdam. And, and he described, you know, this moment in time as the era of and instead of the era of or. This is, this is a moment in time where as a, a global society in the face of tremendous geopolitical instability, mounting population growth, we should be talking about where we can optimize energy supplies and how, how to provide energy security to the world most efficiently, um, which effectively translates into a decentralized strategy and embracing sort of all modalities that are on the table. Because if, if geopolitical stability, world peace, and a certain standard of living is a universal objective that we all share, you, you can't get there until you raise the planet out of, you know, to a basic level of, of energy security, out of energy poverty. And you can't do that if you're saying no instead of yes right now. So, you know, if you, if you, if that trickles down to our policy at a port level, I think for us, that is about cultivating energy in all forms, um, both from a production and mobility standpoint. And secondarily, parallel to that, not secondary to it, but um, in parallel, it's about trying to, to decarbonize, pull mul multiple level levers of decarbonization, both on, on the, you know, sort of at every link in the value chain, um, but to do that in a rational way. And I think, you know, Sean, Sean referenced, I'm way over 25 words, sorry about that, but Sean, Sean referenced European policy. We heard a lot of conversation last week about trying to sync up domestic American and, and EU policy around what decarbonization should look like. And there absolutely has to be some rationalization of European policy in order for the EU to meet its objectives for imports of low carbon hydrogen and other fuels. But what I think it comes down to and what it comes down to for us is survey the landscape, survey the, the, the strategies available for decarbonizing energy production and movement and pick the low hanging fruit first and do it in a rational way, recognizing that the planet still needs oil and gas. There are places for which oil and gas is the solution to energy poverty in the immediate term, but that that is not mutually exclusive with trying to decarbonize. And so for us, I think it's about having diverse options and diverse commodities. So you use the term energy security and we're at an interesting inflection point in the industry as we're starting to see a polarization of energy markets, a shadow market, if you will, given the sanctions that have been put on Russia. Uh, some of those uh, sovereignties have not, so that are our allies have not recognized those sanctions. Um, and so we're starting to see a polarization. And so it appears to me that when we look at energy security for sovereignties, countries around the world, all of which are dependent on energy, uh, it sounds like what you're saying is it's an all of the above approach. Is that right, Jeff? Did I get that right? I'm trying to translate that big yes, brain of yours. all of you both. Approach. Okay. 25 words or less. All right. He must have a performance evaluation coming up. This um, is it, right? This is my performance yeah. evaluation. So, so then let me ask you a follow-on question, Jeff. As a port authority who is really focused on creating customer value, and we have two of our major customers, our largest LNG customer and our largest crude uh, terminal customer, um, how is how is the strategy to help with the 
the decar and they've all made decarbonization commitments to their shareholders and to society at large. What is it that the port can do to assist them in their ESG goals? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, again, I think this comes back to having multiple levers, optionality on both the, the sort of production and mobility side. Um, I think so, you know, two, two, two parallel tracks here on one side, anyone who powers an operation with gas, having a low carbon hydrogen, having a supply of low carbon hydrogen available to blend into to uh, gas powered operations, helping to, to displace, literally displace carbon, decarbonize those power streams is one thing. And so I think, you know, all of the work that we're doing to cultivate um, a, a hydrogen hub with or without a federal designation, I think we're, we're well on our way to being an epicenter for the production of low carbon hydrogen. That's a big part of that strategy. I think secondarily, having a scalable and centralized carbon management solution where anyone in the region who has a carbon emission stream that is technologically or economically possible to capture, we want to provide a strategy for dealing with that captured industrial carbon. You can deal with it in two ways. You can upcycle it into another industrial product. You can blend it into concrete. You can do a variety of things with captured carbon or you can stick it deep underground, store it geologically indefinitely. And our ambition is to create the opportunity to do both. So whether you're trying to decarbonize your power stream, whether you're trying to deal with your emissions, I think our ambition as a public port authority is to create a utility function in both respects. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.